welcome to Health to Be Determined, a podcast about the social determinants of health. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Gabriel Kaplan, board president of the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. Dr. Kaplan speaks with Jody Spicer, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Consultant for the Division of Chronic Disease and Injury Control at the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. They discuss how adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, relate to and impact overall health. Ms. Spicer also shares some tangible ways her Department of Health incorporated work on ACEs into their programming. Hi, Jody. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for joining us. I wondered if you could begin today by telling our audience what ACEs are and how they connect to population health outcomes. Sure. That's a great place to start. Actually, the acronym or the term ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And that term comes from the landmark study that was done in the mid-90s. And that study actually identified 10 types of trauma that had strong association to poor health outcomes in adulthood. The study was done by the um, Centers for Disease Control. Dr. Rob Anda was the epidemiologist working there. And Kaiser Permanente, which is HMO in Southern California, and Dr. Vince Spalletti was uh, working within Kaiser. And so the two of them worked together and developed this study over the course of a couple of years and asked 17,000 adults uh, between 95 and 97 a series of questions about their overall health and then also a set of questions about their experiences growing up. And what they found, quite surprisingly to them, is that there were 10 unique adverse experiences that occurred in childhood that had strong correlation to negative health outcomes. And there's actually three types. So the three types are abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. And when we're talking about abuse, we're talking about physical abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. When looking at neglect, we're talking about physical and emotional neglect. And then that category known as household dysfunction includes living in a household with someone who has a mental illness, living in a household where there's substance abuse, living in a household where there's an incarcerated relative, living in a household where there's violence, intimate partner violence, particularly against the mother, and living in a household where there's parental separation or divorce. The unique thing about the ACE study is that unlike previous studies that kind of focused just on one type of adversity, the ACE study actually broadened the picture to look at multiple types of stressors. And so in today's world, folks think about ACEs in terms of a score or a number. And so everyone has a number from zero to 10, depending on how many of those experiences you had in childhood. So why are ACEs becoming a more commonly discussed topic in public health and chronic disease prevention, especially? So I think it's probably for a variety of reasons. I think nationally, there's been sort of this movement to look at social determinants or sort of the root causes or sort of looking more upstream, you know, beyond behaviors or symptoms or, or risks, really trying to look at what lays underneath that. And I think that's where, you know, the impact of trauma and the idea of ACEs has entered the public health kind of I would say it's sort of in tandem with addressing access to social determinants or in addressing sort of those root causes of outcomes. Um, And then I also think that many states have started collecting ACE data through the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance Survey. 
the PRFS, there's a number of states that have been collecting this data since 2009. And in Michigan, we collected it in 2013 and 2016. And so now we have data that demonstrates that there's this sustained prevalence. So the original data back in the 90s in Southern California found that two-thirds of adults in that sample had at least one adverse experience. And in Michigan in 2016, we found pretty much the same thing. We found that 66% of Michigan adults had at least one ACE. And so I think there's this understanding now and there's data to support that there's this sustained prevalence of ACEs in, a, in the population and it's still affecting people even 20 years after the original study was published. And I think because of that, it's getting more attention in a wide range of spheres or a wide range of spaces. And I think certainly public health is one because of the negative health outcomes that have been found to be associated with those early adverse experiences. So what did Michigan feel were areas of opportunity to impact ACEs and chronic disease prevention? And what interventions and strategies uh, were you able to pursue uh, to address these in Michigan? So like I said, I think it's really um, because we had this data that showed there was this burden, right, in our state, and we felt like this burden was really affecting our program areas as well. And so in Michigan, our Division of Chronic Disease also includes injury and violence prevention. And so this was already sort of on the minds of many of our colleagues in injury and violence. And so we began to sort of look at it across division efforts. And so with the leadership of our division director, Linda Scarpetta, we actually, so I started in December of 2016. And prior to that, for a number of years, our state, like many other states, received prevent block grant funding. And initially, that prevent block grant funding, when it came into the state, was kind of divided up among our various chronic disease programs. But in 2016, our uh, division leadership, uh, with Linda's guidance, decided to pull that money together and fund a collective impact project. And so that actually started the year before me. They started that in, I think, the end of 2015. So that pulled together all of our Prevent Black Rat money. And the name of the project is called Getting to the Heart of the Matter in Michigan. And the purpose is to address multiple chronic conditions and increase access to resources in sort of an integrated way. So our six program areas joined to create this initiative. So that included diabetes, oral health, physical activity and nutrition, tobacco, worksite wellness, and then a program called Wise Choices, which is a variation of the Wise Woman program. So that collective impact project sort of was focusing on all of these chronic conditions and looking to sort of make some systems level change um, in policies and programs. And we focused our efforts on two parts of our state. So a rural part of our state, Northwest Michigan, in an urban part of our state, Southeast Michigan. So that project was kind of moving along for about a year. And that's when I think the team that was working on this project began to see that there were a lot of common risk factors among all of the chronic diseases. So, and those, those common risk factors all sort of looked at outcomes because of these adverse childhood experiences. So I think it sort of was a, maybe a perfect storm in some ways that, you know, we were collectively looking at health outcomes across chronic diseases, acknowledging that there's a set of common risk factors and conditions that kind of all occur, and then kind of laying over the top of all of that, this research around adverse childhood experiences, 
and understanding that all of those, early adversity and childhood, kind of cut across all of these common risk factors and conditions. So in December of 2016, I was hired um, to kind of bring ACEs to the table. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, I tell folks it was kind of an adventure, so it was uncharted, not like there was a playbook to follow, but there was a concerted interest and effort in addressing these things, especially when talking to our community partners, because we found that like many programs in the community, they are working collectively, you know, with families and in settings where families and adults are seen, and, you know, they don't necessarily separate out issues. So we found that there was this desire and this interest in building some capacity um, within those two communities that we were working. So we basically sort of went about the business of increasing awareness, sharing knowledge and understanding, and investing in sort of professional development of those of us that were working in this room. So my counterparts in those two health departments kind of came on board and became engaged in professional development opportunities, getting up to speed on the latest research and the data, and then began looking at how to kind of collect this data regionally. We don't currently have county-level data, but regionally, beginning to kind of look at what does this mean for my community, because obviously rural and urban communities are very different. How does this kind of play out and what does this mean for our communities? And I would say here we are now almost two and a half years later, we're pretty solidly in that space of creating common meaning and shared understanding about the impact of early adversity on adult health outcomes and kind of moving into the space of creating what we call community champions. So helping folks share that message with and for us in their spheres of influence. So within their community settings and spaces and even within some of the programs and policies that you know are, are present in communities in agencies and in uh, community-level programming, what does that mean to be informed about ACEs and how might that change the way you do your work a bit? So there isn't, it isn't like I can tell you this is the exact program that we did because it's a little bit different in each community, but I think in general it's been raising awareness, providing professional development and support, maybe even some technical assistance around the data and what the data means, and then helping to create these community champions that can help spread the message then within communities and within those local environments uh, to begin to impact change at that level. So in working on ACEs, you had to work more upstream, engaging civic and community organizations in your work in a different way than in the past. How did your relationship and work with these groups change? Why did it change? How did you know you were on the right path to addressing upstream factors that you were focused on? That's a great question, and I'm not sure that I know. <laughs> I think part of it is um, because we're looking at system change, that takes a long time to see, right? Uh -huh. To see kind of whether you're making a difference. I will say at first, at times I think it was hard. Many of my current disease colleagues would say things like, you know, I just really want my partners to take an accurate blood pressure reading, right? So they're very focused on their clinical needs, which I completely respect and understand. And so just trying to find that base for talking about 
these larger issues, I think, took a little bit of time. But I think with patience and some sharing of the data, right, you can't really argue with the data. When we got this data from our 2016 Berkus and we were able to show the prevalence and then now we have done some additional analysis and we're able to show, you know, the significant connection to these chronic disease outcomes, I think that helped folks within those clinical spaces realize the need to kind of move past looking at symptoms or risk behaviors and maybe looking a little more broadly. And so I think just by getting folks on board, maybe even one by one at times, has helped us know that we're on the right path. And then being willing to kind of engage in, you know, broad discussions with folks is definitely not a linear process. And I think we have to be open to kind of one step two steps forward, one step back. But I do think we're on the right path. And I do think it's going to be a path that we're going to be on for quite some time. And because it's a broad path, right? Like we still need to also do those clinical things. And so you can't substitute one for another. And I think that's the part that sometimes is hard because there is only so much time and space and metrics and programs that can be done. What did you learn from working on ACEs that our listeners might be surprised about? Was cultural relevancy more important in this work? Or was there something else that you hadn't anticipated uh, would need extra work or focus? That's a really good question. I come from child development. So I have a degree in child development and I came out of like the home visiting world when I came into public health. And so one of the first things I was really interested and surprised by was just there was not a common understanding about ACEs or the impact of early childhood on health outcomes in adulthood. And I still am surprised by that. And so it's a really good reminder for me. So usually when I talk to folks and I you know, do a wide range of speaking in, a, in lots of different settings, I would say even now, less. I would say about half of the folks are aware of ACEs when I start talking. So I, I think it's just really important for folks to understand that this is not commonly understood or even maybe known about. And that's not a negative. It's certainly not a judgment. It's just a reality that, you know, if you know about it, you know about it. And that's the other thing I guess I kind of learned as an aside is that once people do hear about it or know about it, they are very interested in learning more. The second thing I understood was that ACEs affect all of us. And I think that's an aha for many folks. So it isn't just one group of people or those folks over there or that disparate population, but really cuts across all of us, all adults. And the data supports that. And when I have the opportunity to talk to folks, that's what I find is when you have the time and the space to talk to individuals and hear their stories, you realize that it really does affect all of us. So that's probably the second thing I learned is that there isn't one group of people or one segment of the population where this resonated more than another, um, that it really does kind of cut across all folks. I think what I love uh, so much for me uh, about the ACEs framework is, you know, there's this very common widespread understanding that problems with weight or problems with smoking are really problems of willpower. And if people simply had better willpower, they wouldn't have these problems. And what I love about ACEs is it shifts the focus from what's wrong with you Uh, to what's happened to you. And then by thinking about what's happened to you, we really can take a whole person look at that individual and say, now how can we help you given that we understand what's happened to you? And how can we support you in making choices that work for you given an understanding? Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree completely. I think it really does help actually answer some of those questions that I know I've struggled with in my past, right? Where you begin to kind of think, what is wrong? Why isn't this person making the changes they need to make or doing the things that they know they should do? It really broadens that conversation and helps look at the whole picture, right? Mm -hmm. Not just that 
individual, but the family and the community in which they are a part of, and that their past, where they came from, you know, how they grew up, what, how they learned to cope with stress. Um, I agree. I think it's really, it, it's a wonderful space, and, and I think it also takes more time. One of the things that I am intrigued by is this concept that you apply this uh, work through a lens of collective impact. Uh, where does Michigan take this work from here? And what are the kinds of strategies and, and interventions that your partners and you are identifying represent the next step of engagement and prevention and linking this to chronic disease prevention? So I think it's um, still kind of developing, certainly it's expanded. As we move into 2020, we'll be expanding beyond those two communities that we were working in initially because there's this huge need uh, that's kind of, I call it a groundswell that's sort of happening across the state. And so I think my focus will be shifting and becoming a bit broader, but I'm hoping that we can kind of scale up what we've learned in those two, two communities we've been working in and not have to start from ground zero, right? So that we can kind of learn from what we learned there. And then I also think we are creating opportunities to partner, right? So between communities and then at the state level, we also have some synergy around collaborative that we're working on across the Department of Ed, the Department of Corrections, and then our Department of Health and Human Services, in which I sit. We've kind of pulled together a group of thought partners in those three uh, departments, and we're doing some of this work at the systems level as well. So I think that's kind of where we're moving, and I'm excited about the opportunities. I think that, you know, we'll have this work happening locally in communities and in counties, and then we're having this work happen within systems and I'm hoping that there'll be some connection at some point and make some long-term changes in our work across departments and across programs. How can public health make the case for work in this area uh, as being connected to chronic disease prevention and management? I think it's interesting that the places where I've heard conversations about ACEs most frequently are usually in violence and injury and behavioral health promotion. How does chronic disease convince its funders to give it access and space to work in this area? Well, I, I certainly think the way I start is with the data. When you look at the data, and there's that national you know, data from the original study, and then many states have data that's looked at ACEs and health outcomes, you see that there's this huge prevalence and connection between early adversity and these exact chronic diseases that we're working in. And to me, that can't be argued with. And I think there's a space for all of this work. So yes, we'll continue to work in our chronic disease domains and in our chronic disease areas of expertise. And I think it's also important to recognize that early experience and early adversity has as great of an impact as anything else. And I think that's what, once explained and the data is shared, is where I think funders begin to understand and get excited. Um, and in Michigan, we're getting ready to do this in 2020, we'll have enough data to actually show county-level prevalence. So in Washington State, they've been doing this work for quite some time, and they have a map that shows prevalence by county. And that's pretty powerful. You can see the pockets of high ACEs, and then you can compare that with all kinds of other data. And the one that I saw that was most notable was depiction of their state and the high prevalence in counties, and then comparing that to physician scarcity. And what it showed is those counties that had the highest ACE prevalence also had the highest levels of physician scarcity, which is troubling that those areas that need the most potential intervention or support clinically have the least access. And so when we have this data 
not just state level, but countywide or community level data, I think it will help drive some of these data driven decisions so that we can make sure that we're investing our resources in those places and spaces that they need to. And then I guess the last thing I would say is I would encourage folks to kind of look at the ACE pyramid, which was developed out of the research, which kind of talks about the how this ha- the progression of how this happens throughout a person's life. So that early adversity affects literal brain growth and development and epigenetics, which affects how people function socially, emotionally, cognitively which of course in turn affects how we behave and how we engage in behaviors. Oftentimes they may be known as health risk behaviors, which then lead to disease, disability, and social problems, which can lead to early death. And so when you look at the ACE pyramid, it kind of walks you through how this happens. So when we can help families and adults understand that it isn't so much about what's wrong with them, but about what happened to them, and they can understand that, then they can disrupt that cycle. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and I'd love to talk further with anyone who has questions or wants to know more. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today and for the leadership you and Linda have shown in Michigan. Uh, You've really set an example for chronic disease programs around the country to follow. I encourage my colleagues around the nation to uh, check out the program in Michigan and to reach out if they have any questions. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Health to be Determined, a podcast brought to you by the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. Please visit www.chronicdisease.org to listen to more podcasts like this one.